listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Across midfield, Jones just waiting for somebody. Jones inside the 20 to the 10, and for the fifth time in his career, will not be stopped. Grimes in a pull-up three. Oh, Grimes, dead-eye shooter. Blair to Patterson in the corner for three. To midcourt. That's Mark at the buzzer. What it do? And welcome to another episode of Pod Slammer Jamma presented by Apollo Media, all Houston, all H Town, all original. I am one of your hosts, Dayon Dunlap, player McCullough commentator for the women's basketball um, team. I do all of their home games. I also do a couple of other colleges, some high school. And so right now I'm going to talk to my co-host, let him introduce himself. Yeah, and I'm your second host. My name is Andy Yanez. You can follow me on Twitter at Ayanez underscore five. We've been covering the UH Athletics beat for the past three seasons now, uh, which is absurd. It has kind of flown, flown by. And like Dayan said, we're here for another episode. Be sure to follow the official Apollo Media account at Apollo HOU, as well as hitting the subscribe button for our Pod Slime Jam account, wherever you may be listening, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And also be sure to give our Twitter account a follow at Pod Slime Jamma, like you see it in your description. Dayan. Let's get right into it, man. We got a lot of news. We got a lot of uh, sports talk, outside of sports talk. Uh, Let's start with the football team who, for the first time in six years, since 2015, they finally got a bowl game win, defeating the Florida State. Well, in 2015 is the last bowl win. They beat Florida State. State. Yep. Finally broke that streak, beating the University of Auburn in the Birmingham Bowl on Tuesday or yeah, Tuesday, December 28th. I'm confusing my days one of these days, but uh, it was an interesting game. A lot more low scoring than I think uh, certainly that I expected. Aon, I'm sure you probably expected it to be a little bit more of an offensive showing, but I'll, I'll let you start. What were your main takeaways from that game against the Tigers? My main takeaway is Tang Dell is coming into the next season as the number one season, number one receiver in college football. I think the season that he had, the the two big games that he had in the biggest game, Cincinnati and then against Auburn, he proved to me once again that he will be playing on Sundays whenever that time comes. But man, Tank is electric fine. Take his as advertised. That that kid right there is special. Like, and just to think about that, no one really wanted him. I, I saw some tweets, um, former Houston um, wide receiver coach Tyron Carey said, this thing about nobody wanted him as far as from a recruiting standpoint. That was my biggest takeaway. And then the defense coming up big and big situations to pretty much clinch the game, doing what they've done all year, proving 
all year long that they are one of the best units coached by the best defensive coordinator in college football, Doug Belk himself. I'm going ahead and crowning him, giving him his flowers because he's deserved them. He's the best D coordinator in college football, in my opinion. That was what my two of my first takeaways. What about you? What jumped off or what stood out to you when you watched that game? Yeah, like you said, Nathaniel Bell not, not being wanted had to go the Juco route and finally get to Houston, like you mentioned. Uh, there was a tweet. I, I can't remember who put it out, but there was someone that that said that Houston's coming into the 2022 season with the best receiver in, in all of college football, which is uh, certainly a huge um, you know, kind of nod to, to put on Tank Dell, but certainly one he's earned. And really outside, obviously, of course, the defense was stellar against Auburn, but I think you got to give a lot of credit to the offensive line for Houston. They had a lot of uh, different combinations, a lot of backups that didn't normally play throughout the season, and they did as good of a job. as That was probably their best performance all season, to be quite honest, with not only the run, run blocking, but also keeping Clayton Toon in his pocket clean for mo- most of the night, um, especially considering how many – regular starters didn't play it, it it was kind of surprising you didn't see Clayton Toon have to scramble and and kind of run for his life more than he did I know there was a couple of plays where plays broke down but I think the offensive line really really showed out against Auburn yep and that would be my third takeaway was the offensive line and the way that they played um I you know you hear a lot about SEC defenses up front their defensive lines but Houston um took on the challenge and like you said they gave Clayton time to throw the ball and he had a good game he was able to spread it around him and Herslow have some really good chemistry but him and Tate yeah. chemistry is really just out of his mind but the offensive line they played good run blocking and pass blocking Alton showed that he's special once again, and so I, I was very, very impressed with um, the way that Houston won that game. And we talked about the importance and our opinions of going into that game. And while we thought it was important that they play, not only play, but win that game and show that they are the team that they record indicated all season. And they came out and they did that. Yeah, for sure. Again, going back to the offensive line, they only gave up one sack the entire game and, again, did a good job overall. I think, like you said, big picture takeaway. Uh, it's certainly It was certainly a nice win to kind of cap off the season. It's only the third time in program history where they had finished with 12 wins or more uh, since the University of Houston began playing football, which just in it of itself, that stat is a, a great accomplishment. But again, just to kind of break that streak of bowl game losses and some, some of those bowl game losses after the, the 2015 bowl game have been real uh, devastating and been real brutal. I mean, just come to mind at first, like you can't forget about that Army Bowl game when they lost 70 to 14. Um, those are, it finally looks like, again, going back to what we said, to be quite honest, for, for much of uh, probably since October, it certainly seems like this program has finally turned the corner. They're heading in the right direction. And this is a team that, to be quite honest, it feels like they've kind of gotten an identity throughout the course of the season. And that identity, they like being the underdogs. They like being kind of that scrappy team that, that no one really uh, shows much love for them. And they kind of embraced it. Like you mentioned it, Daniel yeah. Dell had to go the Juco route. Uh, the defense, they have a lot of these players that, I mean, just look at the nickname they gave each other, uh, you know, Sack Avenue, the third ward. Um, yep. Yeah defense and 
and without any of those, you know, and it's kind of the identity they have to embrace because they haven't been able to land any of those five-star, four-star recruits. Now you see that turn uh, starting to turn with the upcoming recruiting class Dana Holgerson has put together. And now they have a four-star receiver coming in for the upcoming season. So you, you see them turning that corner and it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that momentum. And once again, finishing off the season, be it against Auburn, it was, probably having the worst season in a, in a couple of years, but still, like you said, it's an SEC school and SEC defense. And it was limited because Houston didn't have Marcus Jones or Logan Hall either. So they were missing key pieces too. And like I said, the defense played spectacular against Auburn. Right. And you know what? I agree with you. It does, does feel like they've turned a corner and it takes me back to a press conference at coach Augerson early in the season. <laughs> excuse me, where he talked about if Clayton, and not only Clayton, if you don't see a difference in his team in year three, then he's failed as a head coach. Yeah. And so what they did, they put the pressure on him versus on his players. And I like that from, from the head man. And we definitely saw improvement in pretty much every facet. And that's what you want to see. And I think they have turned the corner because they actually believe. They believe in the coaching staff. They believe in what he's preaching. And it's a recipe for success. And they got Doug Belk, who's probably not only is he a great coach, but he's an exceptional recruiter. He's an exceptional person. And we talked, we've heard players talking about the relationship that they have with him outside of the field. So all that bodes well in building a, a good culture to want people to come into. Now you look forward going into the Big 12 whenever that is announced. You have a, a value product that you can sell. You're in a big city. Do it for the city, H-Town. We saw some recruits. They get, got some really good recruits to stay in, in Houston. And so I definitely think they're headed towards the right direction. Clayton Toon is coming back. Um, you have uh, you have to, a few pieces on the offensive line. It's going to be going another center. Cody Russell is going to be going, but the left tackle was there. And so um, you're running back. Your skill positions is pretty much set. Harris Lowe will be a senior, but outside of that, the foundation of the team is pretty much set. They have an identity. And so now it's recruiting, adding to the identity in which they went to, um, they built this season. Yeah, for sure. And, and going back to, you've mentioned Doug Belk a couple of times, not only that, they've been able to secure him for the, a bigger contract uh, to hopefully keep him here for a couple more seasons and something that this has been mentioned throughout the season, but Belk is probably going to, who knows how long he has here with Houston. He's probably going to be a future head coach somewhere else in the college landscape. But I think giving him that extension and showing that you've rewarding him with the job he's been able to do. Like we mentioned, it, it's been a complete turnaround for the defense or last season. I mean, they would have their moments and it's hard with just how last season was with a whole bunch of COVID stoppages. They, I think they only had like six weeks where the, it felt kind of normal. They were able to get six weeks in a row um, before they were savaged by the COVID cancellations. But uh, last season, it, the defense showed flashes, but then they were never able to piece it together for an entire game. This season, Doug Belk, once he took over, it was a clear night and day difference um, after the Texas Tech game where they, they played good. They, they kind of let go of the rope, but you saw a lot of bend, no, but don't break from the defense a lot of the season. And they improved throughout the season. And even then, now they're still among the best defenses, not only in the American Athletic Conference, but the entire country, regardless of whatever conference affiliation it is, they're top five. Uh, they're up there with Cincinnati and some of these other programs. And and again, they're only building, they're only growing from there. And that that's yep. 
rewarding Belk with that contract, I think that shows not only for, for the players, but for the other coaches that if you can show uh, on the field results, uh, positive results, you're going to get rewarded within Houston. And that, that's another positive thing. Yeah, well, well, for sure. It, it, it is part of building that, that culture. And when, like you said, you reward good coaching. And not only that, that's showing your players that you're bought in as well. You record, you reward, excuse me, a coach from outstanding that he, that he's did. And that the defense pretty much turned the season around Houston offense I feel like turning the corner and really pretty much with Clayton Toon, but defense is really where they made the hey this season. And really, I was very impressed with the way that they've done it. Being able to pressure the quarterback, whether it's with four or the, uh, whether it's with Doug Pell making a good call to bring pressure with the linebacker blitzes or the stunts up front, just the different things that he would do to create pressure. It really was just very impressive. And I know they're going to um, lose a few defensive players like Marcus Jones, Logan Hall, Deontay Anderson, losing him to graduation. Pepe Williams going to be gone. But you got a lot of players, Art Green, um, Owens coming back, our leader, Donovan um, Mutant. He's only a junior. So that's having him one. coming back, that's probably the uh-huh. hugest piece right there. And then along the D-line, pretty much everyone outside of Logan Hall is coming back. So you're still going to have your full front end tack. And then, I mean, I, I expect – the linebacker court to not drop off led by Donovan Mutant and then the other players who are there. I mean, I, I, I'm very, very happy to where the football team is. I, I think um, they're right there with the men's basketball program as far as ascending upward and trending upward in the direction of where they're going. And, I, I mean, I, I really like the job that Coach Hogerson is doing. He bounced back, faced adversity in week one. He stuck with it and did an outstanding job coaching Clayton Toon, getting him to limit his mistakes as much as possible and really develop him has been the next biggest thing. And that's the question for me. I want to ask you, Andy, what's the next step next season that you want to see coming? I know they still have a ton of recruits, but what's that next step you feel like and how much better can Clayton Toon get? Is it another step that Clayton Toon can continue to get and take Houston to even further than what they did this season? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I'll start with focusing on Clayton Tune specifically. I think uh, the biggest improvement that Tune showed just on this past season alone is, uh, especially after the Texas Tech game, he didn't. You never really see him kind of try to force any of the throws. That was a big problem he had the previous two seasons when he was a full time starter, especially when Houston would be trailing or they would. If he would throw an interception one play, you could kind of see him get rattled by it. I think you saw him improve a lot in that um, in that category, even in the Auburn game. I know it was a, a defensive battle where Houston offensively really struggled to move the ball, but when it counted the most, he shook off uh, one interception he had. He found Jake Herzl, like you mentioned with Herzl. He's been, honestly, he's become kind of his go-to target, especially when it comes to uh, improvising plays, and he always seems to, to be the one that gets open. But I think that's where you really saw Tune improve the most kind of not letting bad plays shake him. I think the next step for him would just be trying to eliminate those bad plays completely, which is much easier said than done, but there's still a couple of plays. Even then when he rushes, he needs to learn how to slide more. I think there's like nitpicky things that you have to get with tune. And when he takes the next step, I guess the other thing would probably be a little bit more accuracy with when it comes to finding receivers. But that, to be honest, I feel like that's getting a little bit more nitpicky. What say you, Dayon? What, what would you say uh, Clayton 2 needs to improve on? 
Yeah, just starting with Clayton Tune, I definitely agree with you that he definitely looked more composed. He, he It wasn't a situation where he seemed rattled. And I think that confidence came from the coaching staff when he struggled early. They, he's our guy, he's our guy, teammates, he's our guy, he's our guy. And then that confidence, I feel like, came out in moments where he may have struggled or turned the ball over. He didn't seem rattled. He came right back. And I would feel like the next step for Clayton Tune to me, is creating more explosive plays, throwing the ball deeply downfield. And we have the playmakers to do so. I think that's the next step from him. He knows the offense inside out. He is able to run it and, and maybe being more controlled up front. I don't know how much freedom Coach Hoston gives his um, quarterback to change plays, move um, coverage, move the – set the, the lineman – from a um, set the protections, excuse me, set the protections, or maybe even change plays that he may see an obvious blitz, switch it to a run, or whatever the case may be. I think those steps are the next steps that I see him really just owning the offense. And I want to see more shots down the field because he did a good job of spreading the ball out, whether it be to different receivers, tight ends, and and um, showing his dual threat ability to time make timely runs. And so that next step, I'm looking forward to him next season, have more, more command and just making more explosive plays. What about from the team? What, what's the next step you feel like as a team they need to make going into the offseason and continue to carry this momentum? Yeah, I think for a team, like you mentioned, uh, big picture would obviously be, to compete with Cincinnati and beat Cincinnati for the American athletic championship. I'm not sure if they're one step away from, from being able to do that. I think what the American athletic conference championship games show, there's still, there's still a gap between Cincinnati and Houston in terms of overall talent there. I hopefully by the end of next season, they've closed that window and it's a much more competitive game and they, they're able to pull off the upset. That's certainly the big picture next step that they need to take before they get into the big 12. But I think more broader wise, which if you look at the season as a whole and you look at their non-conference opponents, they're scheduled to play UT UTSA who they had a good season, but really Houston should still be, they should be better than UTSA despite the, the relatively good season they had uh, in 2021. They have to play Texas tech again. Uh, this time in Lubbock, I believe. And I, that's another step. Get their revenge, be able to beat the Red Raiders and get a little payback for what they did at NRG Stadium. And uh, going with the last two, they have to play Rice again. And and Kansas, when you look at those four teams, to be honest, it, Houston should be all four of them. Which, I guess they had the, the kind of the 50-50 toss-up would be a, Texas Tech, because you don't know how they nah, improve. Nah, I got to stop right there. Nah, I know you're going to say UTSA, yeah, but I got to go Texas Tech over UTSA. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well. No, I'm go sorry. ahead. I, would, I was just going to say this. You know how I feel about lowering the standard of being Texas Tech. Texas Tech has proven to be a mediocre football team in Big 12 and just in general. And I, I hold Houston to a higher standard than Texas Tech. Although it would be on the road, it would be a tough game, but I think they should beat Texas Tech. That's all I was going to say. No, yeah, I agree. I feel that's the next step, beat beat those teams that, that, that they um... – should be especially when they go to the Big 12. If Texas Tech is like you said, historically has been considered kind of the middle of the pack team in the Big 12. Well, once Houston joins the Big 12, they don't want to be middle of the pack or worse. So they have to take care of business. They have to be able to beat Tech. Now, big picture, 
obviously once they get into conference play, they should, to be quite frankly, they should be dominating conference play then show that, you know, we're, even though we're still in the American, if, if they're still even in the American in 2022, we're ready for the big 12. And the way to show that is to honestly dominate their conference schedule until they have to face off with Cincinnati, who's going to join them in the big 12. But really that should be the only team, um, that's who they're chasing. That's who they should get, uh, should want to get at the same level at in the next few years. What say you? I, I echo everything that you said. I concur. I think that's, that is the next step. Um, with success comes expectation. Now you expect to beat the likes of Texas Tech, UTSA, and all the teams that you mentioned. Now it's about going out and doing that and just – Having consistency, not just one up year and a down year. Now it's having consistency, double-digit wins, good seasons. That way, make yourself a household name. But one more, well, another question for you. Who would you say is your – we already – well, I feel like we both already concur as far as the special teams MVP. We Mm -hmm. we don't even have to do that. But (laughs) offensive and defensive MVP of the season, who are yours? Yeah, hmm. That's tough. I, this is I a guess freestyle question. We, when it we goes, this wasn't in our notes or nothing. This is just off the head. Yeah. When it, I'll start with defense first. And I think really what, what you've kind of seen, it's tough because honestly, you could go Marcus Jones again with what he, he was able to do uh, in the secondary or, or Pepe Williams. But I'm going to go with Donovan Mutant just in terms of what he means overall for the defense. You saw when he, when he suffered that injury towards the end of the season where really, I believe it was against UConn where you saw how much the team cared about him and that they are not say they were shaken, but you could see the impact that he had. I mean, even Donovan, I think he finished watching the, the rest of the game from the hospital that they took him for precautionary reasons when he came back. And even in the bowl, in the bowl game, you saw him being, he's become kind of the face of the defense. He's the heart and soul of the defense. If he comes back for a senior season, I think he's going to be the key player. Um, and something that I believe it was Deontay Anderson said uh, earlier in the season where he mutant really helped Anderson with the leadership, what he's supposed to do, how he's supposed to fit in at in that linebacker position. Uh, when you go on offense, it's kind of, hmm, I'm gonna go with Nathaniel Dell, just in terms of the overall body of work, what he proved even in the bowl game, which uh, against an Auburn and SC defense uh, putting up the, I think he got around 150 receiving yards, which is pretty impressive. Um, and just the consistency throughout the season, day in and day out, he was clearly the wide receiver number one for the offense. He was Clayton Toon's go-to guy when they had to have it. Um, Dell more often than not got open, but I think you could probably make an argument for Clayton Toon overall since he's the quarterback. And I think down the road, I think another MVP to watch for in the coming years has got to be Alton McCaskill. I'm going to be excited to see what next step he takes uh, to become one of those premier backs because he showed he showed it in flash. There were a couple of games where um, the defense were able to slow him down. So I'm interested to see how he can progress. He did. But before I go, do you think for Houston to take that next step, Clayton Toon has to be that clear and cut obvious MVP if they will take that next step? Oh, for sure. I think I agree with that. I agree with that. That you, absolutely, especially when it comes to what they're adding next season. So obviously they got Nathaniel Dell, he's set, but they're going to be adding uh, Matthew Golden from Klein Kane here in Houston. He's a four-star recruit. That's like their 
headliner recruit so far that they had for the class of 2022. So in theory, they're going to have a lot. They're going to improve offense. They're going to have more offensive weapons. Yep. He has ultimate Gasco. He has uh, a bunch of weapons out that he can throw through. And that goes back to what back the next. Henry. Yep. I'm sorry. What was that? Oh, no, no, I'm just saying, yeah, I'm just agreeing with what you're saying. Oh, yeah, no, I was going to say, going back to what we said, where he has to take that next step and limiting the mistakes, he's going to have a much better arsenal of weapons around him, and I think that's got to be it. If he's spreading the ball around, not necessarily being uh, kind of locked in on Nathaniel Dell or even kind of banking on Alton McCaskill, or he'll occasionally take one to the house like he did in that overtime game against East Carolina. I think that's the next step. If you can get the best version of Clayton Tune, we're really, I mean, we're, I guess for the season, you probably, if I'd have to put a number, maybe have seven or less interceptions for the entire season, I think that'll be the next step because if they're not turning the ball over with the explosiveness, you have that defense behind you that, especially playing against the American Athletic Conference, it's going to be really tough to score on them. And if you eliminate all turnovers, they're going to be a powerhouse, especially for for in the American Athletic Conference. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. My Well, my defensive MVP, I'm going with DeAnthony Jones. DeAnthony Jones is my defensive MVP. Every time he was on it, most of the time when it was time to pass rush, I don't know what they call that package, but he would be on the field, and he was an instant playmaker. Every time, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, he was led their team with five and a half sacks, or he was right near the top. But that's my defensive MVP. He was the standout to me that beat one-on-one routinely every time I watch him. I watch every single one of their games. And then um, offensively, of course, I'm going with Tank. Tank Dale. He, 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 he showed me that he got it. The it factor that people are talking about, like, he, 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 he got it. He got it. He cold. You know what I'm saying? When he get the ball in his hands, he, he know how to make you miss. He can juke you. He got that, that dead leg juke stops. He got everything. Everything is route running. I don't care how tall, how little he is. He, he got it. And, and, and uh, he's my offensive MVP. Yeah, for sure. And uh, before we kind of put it away there, I'm curious, what what do you feel like the next step for the UH program is as a whole? Do you agree with, with um, like you said, you got to have a much higher ceiling than or goal than beating Texas Tech? What, what's your end game before uh, for the 2022 season? Just like this, as be air be. I had what's it? Is it have the season um, the schedule for next season already came out. It has not come out yet, but they they, they already know the, the non-conference opponent. So um, they're just well, 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 the next step for me, if you look at Cincinnati, what took them to the next step is they had an NFL quarterback in Desmond Ritter. Mm-hmm. And that's what it takes us to what we just talked about, Clayton Toon being the without a doubt MVP. And he can he take that next step and play himself into having a, a Jerboa, well, maybe Jerboa. The only reason I'm just saying that name because he had a really big year and led his team to a, um, the championship, right. Joe Burrow. But yeah. can he take that next step and, and have that? If he can do that, I feel like you should take that next step. I, um, I think the defense is here to stay. As long as Doug Pilk is here, I feel like he they're going to keep doing the same thing. He's going to keep recruiting. They're going to keep being one of the top defensive units. Alton McCaskill, 
he's proven to me in his freshman season, he was one of the best freshman running backs. Now his, his sophomore season, I see him come back a little bigger, a little bit more explosive and maybe even a little bit more elusive. He's shown he's a three down back. And so I can't wait to see his sophomore season, him, see him continue to grow and you can get, the running game going even more often, this is going to open up even more for all the weapons and Clayton Tuning. So I think the next step is definitely it's going to start with the quarterback position. You got to dominate and beat these 10 UTSAs, the Texas Tech, none of them. All of them I'm expecting wins. And even like when you get into conference play, if you're still in America, you're playing the East Carolinas and the Memphises and all these teams, until you – Prove like Cincinnati has proven. That's the next step, right? Am I not mistaken? In the next, no, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah that, that's the next step. And that's going to do it for our first segment. Coming right up on Pot Slamma Jamma, we'll talk more about the men's basketball team who've had an uh, interesting past week, not only with injuries, the two key injuries to two key players, and COVID issues have reared their ugly head once again, coming right up on Pot Slam and Gemma covering your UH Athletics. Continuing on here on Pot Slam and Gemma, like Andy just mentioned, there's a lot going on with the basketball program and a lot of surprises, not, not only just COVID, it never went anywhere and, and it's still having an in, impact not only on Houston, but throughout the entire college, throughout the entire world in every sport and, and really just human life. But the surprising was the injury, losing Tremont, Mark and Marcus Sasso to um, season injuries. Uh, I, I can't wait to see the, the team, how they respond, the, the outstanding coaching job that Coach Sampson is going to do. That I'm excited, but, I mean, w- where do you want to start, Andy? Yeah, let's start with uh, let's start with Tremont Mark since he was a little bit before everything else happened. Uh, um, let's see. They announced it on – these days have all muddled. I believe it was Monday or Tuesday last week. Uh, where they announced Tremont Mark was going to have season-ending surgery um, on that shoulder that had been bothering him. And, and Dayon is something we had touched on, um, really, that we kind of discovered on October 1st, where Tremont Mark had completely changed the the form, his shooting form, coming into this season, something that we asked him um, during the red and white scrimmage uh, why he had done that. And he talked about how he had been dealing with a shoulder problem uh, for much of, of the offseason. And then misses a couple of, I forget how many, it was two or three games to start the season, possibly even more. He comes into um, finally playing, but it never really seemed like he was a hundred percent, especially when it came with his shooting. You never had kind of those games, especially he had early on last season where you could see that he was a kind of a, multi-dimensional player not only did he have his jumper where he was real lethal especially in the mid-range but his full arsenal at his disposal where that allowed him to drive you still saw him drive and be a playmaker but not so much of a scorer which is I feel that was a big difference from last season early on and then you know after the Alabama game where he really struggled Samson said that that he regret re re-aggravated his shoulder injury and then a couple of days later um they asked Samson and he, he kind of held off a little bit. He said he was going to be out for the foreseeable future. Now, a couple of days later, lo and behold, he's out for the season with uh, the shoulder injury. And down before um, I get let you talk about um, your reaction to the injury and what it'll mean for the program. 
I will note uh, during his availability on Monday, Kelvin Sampson was asked about uh, potential redshirts, um, how that process works. Now, obviously, uh, in a traditional sense, a redshirt in basketball, usually when a player plays, even if they play one second during the season, they're no longer eligible to redshirt. There is, however, this thing, the medical redshirt that Sampson said, where if a player plays about 30%, or less uh, of the team's total games, they would be eligible for a medical redshirt, which is key. And also this, I mean, even COVID could play a factor. Um, As of now, Tremont Mark has only played in six games for Houston all season, which is pretty significant. And just in and of itself shows how, how much that injury had impacted him. But when you think about, next season and beyond this potentially could help Houston with a medical redshirt. If he doesn't come back and doesn't play now, Cougars are saying he's out for the season. So as of right now, not, 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 I don't, I don't know hundred percent, but based off what Samson said, he could be eligible for a medical redshirt, which may or may not be huge for Houston, depending on how long Mark um, stays with the program. Right, right, right. But, but it definitely is a possibility and taking the factor that, he was kind of being considered a freshman because of the COVID year from last year. And so he'll have a ton of eligibility and plenty of time to heal. And that's the main thing, getting the surgeon, him healing, and really just getting healthy before he even can play basketball. So really just taking care of his body, getting healthy, then getting back to basketball. And then we we know what he can do on the floor. But I just wish the best to your mind. Um, It's definitely going to be an impact on Houston and um, especially with just his playmaking. I mean, it, uh, I think I agree with everything you said, but in spurts, the only thing I would add to it, in spurts, we saw it, we saw it like him kind of look like himself from last year. Yeah. But like you said, it, it wasn't just consistently like like it stood out and it, and would be probably just knocking down jumpers and, and just how smoothly it looked. And so um, I, I wish nothing but the best is um, for Tremont Mark and hopefully – um, he heals up and, and gets back to the high level that I know that he can get to. For sure. And he didn't even get a full day, uh, a few, got a few, few days before um, the Marcus Sasser news broke, which this one kind of came a little bit more out of nowhere. Obviously, Sasser had been dealing with uh, issues on his right leg. Uh, it had been a turf toe injury that had been bothering him. Uh, I think he originally injured it. Um, Early in the month, I can't pinpoint exactly what game it was, but I remember against Alabama, it seemed like he had re-aggravated it. Then, I mean, he continued to play to much of his credit, uh, and then come following the game against Louisiana, Christmas Eve out of all days, um, news broke that Sasser was going to miss the remainder of the season because he had suffered a fracture, a hairline fracture on his fifth metatarsal. Uh, on his left foot. So completely unrelated to his turf toe injury, that's not going to require surgery, but the injury on his left foot will. And he tweeted out earlier today on Wednesday that we're recording this. He already had surgery, went successful based off uh, Marcus Sasser's tweet, but he will also miss the remainder of the 2021-22 season. And again, now adds an interesting question whether he possibly returns um, to the University of Houston next season or if he 
decides to jump straight into the NBA, really that it sucks for him just in terms of where he was. Um, depending had he stayed healthy, you could certainly see him make the case of immediately going to the NBA draft. Like we've mentioned before, Dayon, he certainly showed enough to be considered uh, a draft pick, but I mean, really, he could have had a chance to solidify his resume to be a top end first round pick. And now without the surgery, I'd be curious to see what he decides if he decides to come back. But let's start with their Tremont Mark, Marcus Sasser, both out. How will that impact Houston for the remainder of this season? I, I mean, it's yet, it's yet to be determined. Uh, yeah. I, I, I can't wait to see it. I, I will say I think Ramon Walker will step up. Coach Sampson did mention that he's going to be a starter um, in one of his availabilities. Yeah. And, so, and um, I, I, I called two of his games, playoff games, one year when he was going against Bryce Griggs, who was a highly talented recruit and um, in the playoffs. And a couple a matter of fact, I think it was back-to-back years. But anyway, um, he had a ton of talent. He, that kid can really score. And it's crazy to see the impact that he's having prior to us recording this and prior to their games was really just making culture plays, taking charges, diving on the floor, rebounds, getting deflections, just doing all – the dirty work, and and now he's going to be really have to score more because they need to score more points. And whether he's featured more, I, I don't – I can't wait to see it. Coach Samson, a great coach. I'm sure that they might play inside out even more, play through Josh yeah. play through Fabian even, even more, but still have their guards up top. But with Jamal kind of doing a lot more pick and roll, a lot more pick and pop. Uh, a, a lot more of that and, and kind of letting him run the show even more. And so um, I, it, it's going to be a lot more on Jamal Shad. That, that <laughs> that's who, who I feel like is going to be impacted the most because now you look who's going to be that second person when, when Jamal needs a break to handle the ball. It, it, it could be Kyler. Kyler, hey, he's a, he's a, he's been in the biggest stages. He can, he can handle the basketball. So it could be him. Um, Ramon, who, who, who's going to do it? Tazay. And so yeah. um, I can't wait to see Coach Samson's a Hall of Fame coach, and I know he's going to do a great job. I still expect them to win the American Conference. I said, now with the talent that they have, because they got the best coach, they got the best coach and the best culture. And so if he can get them to do whatever it is that he see, because whatever he see, I trust it. And um, I, I think I think it's going to be different, especially in the beginning. But I think Ramon is going to step up a big time. No, yeah. First and foremost, the thing they had to do, they got to stay healthy, which has been a, a big problem, uh, a big issue for this team throughout the entire season. And it's honestly, it's been a lot of injuries that are, that are kind of freak injuries. I mean, look at Kyler Edwards. Um, had they played, had the game not been postponed against Cincinnati, there's probably a decent chance he, he doesn't play. Yep. Yeah, because of uh, the yeah. ankle sprain he suffered against Louisiana. And I think Samson said on Monday that he was still in a walking boot. So they've really been hit with bad luck when it comes to injuries this season. But I'm curious, when, when it comes to, like you said, now going forward, I think Calvin Samson himself is probably going to like this challenge of trying to figure out how, like you said, they're not going to go anywhere. Calvin Samson himself said that's not their culture. They're not going to throw in the towel on the season. No they're they're going to compete. They they want to make another push for an American Athletic Championship trophy. Sure. And once they get into the NCAA tournament, who never knows? It's literally one game at a time. So, uh, But what I was going to ask, would you – 
in terms of how they kind of tweak with the roster now, you mentioned Jamal Shedd, who's clear cut, still going to be the the go-to point guard. After him, it's where it becomes a little tricky. Would you kind of go, and this is something that was brought up by Chris Gardner and our folks talking sports show, would you start Josh Carlton with Fabian White and go big um, while also starting, say, uh, would you go with a three big lineup, go with, whether it be Reggie Chaney, Josh Carlton, and Fabian White starting at the three, four, and five? And then, like you no said, way, go, no way, no way. I don't think that's even a consideration. Uh, a Fabian at the three? Yeah, it's tricky. Oh. No, that's what Chris proposed. Uh, uh, I had the exact uh, same reaction because nah, of the the spacing would be off. It would it would be a yeah, weird lineup. Be, yeah, yeah, no, nah. I know. Nah, I think Josh should stay in the starting lineup because he brings a different element from scoring on a low post. I think Josh is going to stay on the starting lineup, and they like in the last game. I think it's going to be more emphasis to play through Josh and play through Fabian. Fabian likes to get it on in that mid post area and isolate and do what he do. And so I think he, I, I think personally, because from the basketball that I've seen and, and from what I think I know and with the talent and what they have at their disposal, I think there's going to be a little bit more of that. But I still allow a lot of Jamal shedding in the pick and roll, lot, allowing him to get down here. And make the decisions because he's showing he can make the play. Or whether like whatever, whatever, it, it, whether it's getting to the hole, I think he need to now. He need to make more floaters. He he been missing a lot of uh, um, a lot, in my opinion, from what I've seen that he got know he can make. And I think he he gonna have to step up even more. And I mean, I know it's easy to say that then I'm just sitting here talking on his mic, but still, um, I think. He uh, he's, he's gonna have to. I think he can. Cause what he um because uh, just look because he's gonna be on the ball a, a lot even more if you look at it. I think his minutes are gonna go up even more. I'll let. No, yeah, I agree. By the way, Chris, if you're listening to this, that's three for three. Uh, people that did not like that uh, three big lineup, but uh, when it comes to that guard rotation, like you mentioned. I, a lot more uh, loads going to go on Jamal Shedd. But I'm curious when it comes to, to point guard when, when Jamal Shedd is not on the court, Tajay Moore has done a little bit this season. Yeah. But who else could do you feel like could handle that, that point guard responsibility? I think by default, Kyler Edwards is going to have to be more of that point guard role. Yeah, I it's, think yeah, I think so. Ramon can handle it too, though. I was yeah. saying, seeing him, he can handle it. He he can score. I'm telling you, and Andy. I know basketball, and I know it. I see when I see it with my eyes. I know. And I'm telling you, he he can handle. It. I don't know if I don't know. I don't know. I think he would go. I agree, Kyler. I think probably would be the next to to handle him. Maybe Tajay a little bit too, and then. But I, I agree. I think it would be more of a Kyler, I think. Yeah, for sure. And it, it's it's tricky. It's going to be an interesting yeah. – it, it'll be interesting yeah. to see how Samson adjusts, like you said, uh, one of the top coaches in the entire country. I think it's a challenge yep. that he hasn't he hasn't really had in a while, certainly since he's been in Houston with as many injuries as they had, a new challenge that he's looking forward to, to figuring out. When you look across the American Athletic Conference, there's not another team that clear-cut becomes a favorite now, even with uh, Tremont Mark and Marcus Sassrout. I mean, Memphis seems like they haven't been able to get out of their own way. They lost to Tulane on Wednesday night. Memphis, they were, State. Memphis, they were missing their top three scores due to COVID. 
No, for sure. But still, they, they struggled for, for early in the season. Because at any one of time, somebody can get COVID and then they'll be out. It'd be, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, another thing we got to take into consideration. But then you look at some of the other teams, Wichita State, even though they, Tyson Etienne returned, it seems like they've, they've had their own struggles offensively and to start the season. Um, SMU always gets mentioned. UCF, those are a couple of teams that, that they got a great point guard over there. Might be up there. there. Oh, for sure. SMU. SMU's always said with Davis. Um, but when you look at those four teams, to be honest, they're not – you would say Memphis in terms of raw talent, but they still haven't been able to put together. And I'd imagine by the time February, March comes around, they'll, they'll probably look a lot more a sharp, a lot more cleaner, at least I would say. Who knows if they can figure it out. But there's not really a team that that'll run away with the conference, in my opinion. But do you yeah, see any team there that, that no, no, might? That's why I, no, I don't. That's why I said a second ago. I feel like Houston's still going to win the American because I, I've seen like, all the teams play. I think SMU is going to be up there because they have uh, one of the best point guards. And him, uh, him and Jamal Shed, I think the best point guards from what I've seen. Tulane, that point guard that they got, the what he did to Memphis, that kid, um, his last name, I think it might have been Scott or something, but he had 20, I think he finished with might be 26. He was nice, and so Man, but Kendrick Davis, I think SMU is going to be one of the dark horse teams. Um, I don't know. It's going to be a lot. I, I expect Houston to be right up there. That's what I'm telling you. That's one thing I do know. I I think all the teams you mentioned, Houston is going to go toe-to-toe and probably beat any one of them. Yeah, when you mentioned Tulane, I think you were talking about card uh, Jalen Cook. Jalen Cook, that's what it uh, was. He was cooking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but, yeah, I agree. Um so that's an interesting and, and especially whenever they have to play Houston, that's one thing you're always going to count on regardless of who's on the court. And it's funny because it's something Kelvin Sampson has said uh, last Monday where he was asked, you know, they, they've really been short of players. Like they haven't really even been able to have a full team practice because they haven't had bodies to be available. But he said, if you know they only need seven to be eligible and whoever's on the court, they're going to play to, the Houston culture, you know, they're going to be tough defensively and they're going to crash the boards. And that's going to be, that's going to keep it on a lot of games. And the good thing with this team that that wasn't the case with last season seems they have a true post threat in Josh Carlton and something Samson said they haven't really had since his, he's been here in Houston. He mentioned Breon Brady. Yeah, they had yep. it a little bit with him, but yep. overall Josh Carlton is a, a significant presence in the paint that could, hurt teams and that's going to be a key factor for them going forward. I think you're going to see a lot more, like you mentioned, having them playing through Fabian White, through Josh Carlton a lot more. You're going to have a lot more of the in and out game. And the good thing, they still have a lot of shooters. They still have Kyler Edwards. Ramon Walker has shown that he can shoot, which has been impressive because he, Calvin Sampson said he's like three weeks removed from having surgery on his wrist and his hand, which um, just in and of itself, it's it's kind of absurd that he's already playing uh, just a few weeks since having surgery on it. Um, but yeah, is there anything else that you kind of want to end on for this segment uh, overall in terms of whether it be? I think uh, no. I, I think just to add on, I think it's going to be a collective effort. I don't think it's just going to be one player. I think they're in different spurts, different games, different players to step up. It's going to be a collective effort. I think Tajay is going to play big. I mean, 
play it be counted on even more. He's shown, remember the game one against Hofstra where he started and played a lot of minutes. He showed that he could he the big shot. Remember he yeah. hit the big three. For so sure. I think, think he's gonna continue to have a really big year. And I think now this is like really his time to really like step up. This can be like really meant for him to have his magical year in Houston to to go far and him being a, a big impactful player. He has the athleticism to play at the next level. But if he can put it all together like Coach Sam and said and use all that to make winning plays within this system, man, it, this can be a special, special. That's I, 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 I think it's not over yet. I think Houston still, they have the best coach. Like, Coach Sampson is one of the best that I've ever seen. And I, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Um, this season, it'll be very interesting to see how, how they adapt. But even looking ahead and at the potential of what the 2022-23 UH team could look like, um, let's just say what if so far if Sasser chooses to come back Mark comes back they have a stacked recruiting class with Emmanuel Sharp who's actually was set to join the program this week um, no chance he gets to play this season uh, Samson immediately shut it down he's still recovering from a couple of injuries that he had um, uh, during his high school year yeah. but you know they got Jarris Walker they got Terrence Arsenault coming in both high four or five star recruits respectively you bring back that core, even even if Sasser doesn't come back. You still have Jamon Mark and the experience that guys like Jamal Shed, Ramon Walker, um, all these freshmen are going to get. I think next year's team's really going to be a, a huge powerhouse, and honestly, might be Final Four um, Final Four favorites when it comes to right off the gate from the off season. Now, obviously, that's getting too far ahead. It's already on paper, but. Watch out for the 2022-23 season. And like you said, this season is not a wash yet because this team, they have an identity. They're going to play to it. And there's going to be a lot of games. Like you said, in the American, they're going to be dogfights. And Houston's going to be – that's what they like. They like those grinded-out games. Yep. And that's going to do it for this segment coming right up. On our third and final segment, we'll talk more about the women's basketball team who they also had their COVID pause um, during their last game. It would have been their non-conference finale. So they move on to their conference opener. As of now, they still have it set. We'll talk more about the women's basketball team coming right up on Pod Time and Jam covering your UH Athletics. Continuing on, yeah, Pod Slammer Jammers, Dayan and Andy with another episode like you just said, now we're talking women's hoops and the women, they're on a four game winning streak and they, they, they've been playing really well. I feel like they found their identity and they've really done an outstanding job really in playing the transition and getting up a lot of shots. I think they have so many scores. If they can push the pace even more, not only offensively, but create it with their defense and with their pressure, they can wear teams down and and they can kind of impose their will with some of the players who can go one-on-one um, and, and beat you off the dribble. Yeah, for sure. Like you mentioned, the four-game winning streak that started on December 9th, they got that key win against Florida State. Um, they're dealing with their own COVID issues that caused them to to cancel the game against Southeastern Louisiana as of now. Uh, as of now, like I mentioned, they're still set to play Tulane for their conference opener on this upcoming Sunday. Um, I'm curious, you said they found their identity. Would you say that, like you mentioned, getting out in the fast break, pushing the tempo, being a fast break kind of team, a fast pace kind of team, is that the way they're going to have to go out, go about and, and like that's the identity that they've established or what, 
what more of an identity do you mean by for the women's team? Yeah, and, and that starts with their defense. They have to uh, really be committed to their press that they play, their 55 press. And, and Bria Patterson, she jump starts that she's been playing playing really well. And when, when they all are committed to pressing, because they do a good job of not only pressuring, but they get steals, they get into deflections, and then that just creates opportunities from get out and transition because they have such a good shooters if they can shoot more shots and as the amount of work that they put in, they trust they're going to make more shots. And Layla Proof, she made, what, she went six from 11 at Florida State and it's crazy because the game before that, I, I talked to Coach Hood before the game, and he told me and Matt that he wanted her to shoot more shots. And she was more aggressive, shot more shots, made more shots. And I think it really just and it's a combination to all the teams. Coach Hood says that they want to have 80 possessions. When they reach that number and then, and then they get up 30 or more threes, then most likely they win the game. And and they just create some less opportunities that he's has to really tell them how to execute in the half court set. But when they do that, then they have a high chance of winning. Uh, 80 possession, that's a, that's a real high number. Um, if they can be able to get that, that'd be, honestly, that'd be incredible. But when it comes to um, this four-game winning streak, and it's, I would say it's still too early to call it a turning point in the season, certainly with the struggles they had early on, they're in the right direction. Um, has there been a key turnaround that you've seen with, with this team or what, what what has kind of been different during this four-game winning streak? The difference has been uh, just the consistent play um, of them just as a team. Like I said, being committed to, to pressuring. And, and, and But the main thing has been they haven't turned the ball over. And they start off the season averaging like 20-some turnovers and they got it down to like – 17. Now I think it's down like to 16, 15. And if they continue to take care of the basketball, they're going to create and cost on them, which is by the way that they play. And so that's just going to create more opportunities for them offensively. And they have so many scores that can beat you. I don't think it's one player that you can look like if we slow her down, then we could just beat Houston because they have so many players and they all get the chance. It's not like they just – um, have played through one person. Everybody touches the basketball. Everybody at any opportunity has a chance to take a shot or do what they have a chance to really to get busy. And so um, I, I think if, if they could just really just commit to, to pressuring and doing that and Coach Huey just whether it's using his timeouts, using his substitution, just really knowing his personnel, just coaching the game. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. think he's been, he's been a, he's done an outstanding job making different substitutions because he inserted different people into the starting lineup. And since he did that, I think now they're one for one in a row. So people are buying into their roles. Now different players are are in different roles, and now they're excelling. They still coming in and have an instant impact. And so, and now I think they they know who they are as a team. And he he said he said they really like each other. And, if they can continue, I think they have a really big this game on a Sunday because Tulane is coming in. You want to just take, keep winning, keep building good habits, and it feels good. It feels good to win. He did tell her. He tell me that he did make a vow to his team. If they can keep on his win streak, he's gonna paint his hair red. <laughs> he said, if they keep on, it's gonna be something to look at because eventually he's gonna have to do it. 
<laughs> Did he give you a magic number for being for the winning streak? Uh, he he didn't give the number. He said I just have to get a get a few more wins, and then we might see it. That's interesting. Now we digress when it comes to to them starting conference play. I, this is a bit of a, a kind of an interesting question in regards to what Houston was able to do in their non-conference portion of the schedule. Like we mentioned, they really struggled early. We're able to turn the corner a little bit to end it. They're seven and five. Now they're, they're about to start conference play. Do you feel that they've done enough to potentially be able to, to have a, a legitimate chance at being, um, getting an NCAA tournament bid without winning the American athletic conference outright? Or do you feel like, they either have to win the American Athletic Conference or they have to, at at the very minimum, split games with UCF and USF. Um, no, it, that's tough because it's different ways that different scenarios that can happen. Like they, they can not win it and maybe finish second and be tied and, and be close, like beat UCF and beat those teams. But they like they also it's different scenarios to, in my mind to where they can still be competitive, not winning, but still be right there, right above to where they were last year and still get in. And so, because I think those top three teams are going to get a lot of respect with um, South Florida, UCF, and Houston. But if Houston can maybe split with both of those teams or maybe even sweep those two teams, and, like, it can, different scenarios can happen to where they couldn't win it, but somehow they can still be get those quality yeah. wins and, and, and beat everybody else, and I think they can still get in. So I yeah. think it's, it's just different ways. So I can't give you a definitive answer and say, yeah, no, but I think it's possibility either way. They just have to beat the teams that um, they should be and, yeah. um, and, and, and take care of beat, step up and beat UCF and beat South Florida. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're going to play both UCF and, and South Florida twice each, so four total between those two teams. And they can sweep both of those teams. I think that that'll be a, a tremendous uh, res- resume boost. And if they do that, then I feel confident that them being able to, to clinch an NCAA berth, even if they don't win the, the American Conference Tournament, um, barring you know if UCF and, and South Florida remain at the level that they have been the past few seasons. But the reason I ask that is – you know, I'm looking at the NAT rankings and something that, that Chris Gardner has always um, harped on. But you look at, at the net rankings yeah. um, for the conference only. You got UCF at number one um, and they're 36 nationally when it comes to those. U.S. South Florida is a little bit behind them. They're at 37. Houston's third in the conference with net. They're at 70. Fourth is Tulsa. They're at 84. And then after that, they all fall. They're below 100. Tulane, who, as of now, Houston's still set to, to open the conference schedule with on Sunday. They're 101st. And every other team is below 100. So I think when you look at that, the reason I ask that, I feel like, and this is going to be really hard for, for the women's team to be able to do just in terms of, you know, they're human. It's going to be hard to be perfect every game. But when it looks at their conference schedule, I feel like it's more challenging for them where they have to get those quote unquote, you know, easy wins if you're looking at the net rankings. But 
you know, conference games day in and day out, there's going to be a couple of times where they have bad games. They're going to have to overcome that. And really, they, the only games they could afford to lose would be against those UCF, South Florida teams, um, because the rest of the conference is just not good when it comes to the net rankings. And I feel like that that's hurt them. And they haven't been, they weren't able to, they started off much slower than they would have liked to a non-conference. I feel like they're kind of climbing uphill battle with you. Yeah, it seems like they are coming up an uphill battle. And so is South Florida and so is UCF because they have the same thing. They must beat those same teams as well. And so, I mean, it's a gift and a curse, I guess, for being good in a conference that that isn't really respected. And so uh, uh, I don't think that's a a bad thing or a bad way to look at it. And but rankings can change because like schools like Tulane and and, um, Tulsa who have a good seasons can actually step up like one and actually beat a South Florida or or split with South Florida. And then the rank, they're going to go up in the ranking. So different things can happen and the season is still young. And so. Um, it's it's a, it's a lot to be determined. Uh, right now, you look at the rankings. Right now, they aren't being respected, but it's still a lot of basketball to be played. But like South Florida, UCF, Houston, they must beat those other teams to stay high in the rankings, and Houston must beat those, um, the Florida's teams just so they can move up. So, I mean, it, it all makes sense. I think they can do it. For sure. And when it comes to, to conference play, like you said, they got to play to their identity. Now I'm, I'm going to be sure to be on the lookout for a, a red-haired Ron Huey if they continue to win. Um, but when it comes to, to going back to the conference schedule, do you feel – what would you consider a good uh, mark for, for the women's basketball team in conference? Um, you mentioned that it's something that Huey told us as too. their goal is to beat those two Florida schools. They were, they showed they could beat South Florida last season. They've really struggled against central Florida. I guess that's step one right there. Being able to beat both of those teams show that last year against South Florida wasn't a fluke, but now that they've also improved and can beat central Florida, is there, is there a certain win mark that you kind of uh, looking at when it comes to conference schedule? Uh, I'm just just like the men's. I'm looking for them to compete and win the games that they're supposed to win, and and let their culture help them get those tough wins and win those games so they can be up in upper echelon in the conference. So, I don't have a number of wins. Uh, I, I I think I expect for them to be good and finish in the, in, in the top of conference, if not at the top spot. It, it, it's a tough hill because I've watched every single team play. I watched South Florida play a few times. I watched UCF, and both of those teams are really good. Houston, uh, of course, I watched them because I do their games. And so they have the talent, and they're, they're good too. They just have to put it all together. That's why I said the season is young. Season is young. Tulane and they, the, the Mayberry Sons, they got out caught their games last year. Them girls can ball. And right now they're undefeated. They haven't really played anybody, but still. And so it, it's a lot to be be determined. I think Houston can be your up in the top spot, top two, top three, top spot. If you ain't first, you last. For sure. And that, that's going to do it for today's episode. Uh, like we mentioned, both as of now, both basketball teams are scheduled to have their conference openers this upcoming Sunday. Men's basketball team will be in Philadelphia to, to open the conference schedule at Temple, while the women's basketball team will be hosting at Fertitta Center against Tulane. Um, 
as as of now that we're recording on Thursday night, um, both teams had been dealing with COVID issues heading into the game. So hopefully they're able to still get those games in. But if you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. We'd greatly appreciate it. And also be sure to follow me, Dayon Dunlap. That's at D-A-Y-O-N-D-U-N-L-A-P. Be sure to follow the official Apollo media account. That's Apollo, H-O-U for blogs, merch, video, podcasts, and more original Houston sports content not found anywhere else. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back on our next episode of Pod Simon Gemma covering your University of Houston Cougars. Go Cougs.